Our text this morning finds Moses on the top of Mount Sinai where the Lord is giving him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant that we know as the Ten Commandments. But at the bottom of the mountain are the people who are getting restless and impatient that their leader is not returning to them as quickly as they they thought he should. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, second book of the Old Testament, second book of the Bible, and would you please stand for the reading of the Word today, everyone standing, Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32, are you ready for the Word today? Now, it is a more lengthy passage. It's about 14 verses, and so here's how I would like to do it. I just could not exclude you completely. I'm going to read the words and the, the phrases in white. If you see something that's in kind of an orange color, goldenrod color, golden orange color, that's yours. And you're going to read it with great fire and gusto, right? Amen? Yes. All right, I'm at Exodus chapter 32, starting with verse 1. Let me, let me begin. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, it's his brother. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. Uh, He brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons. Well, that's when guys started wearing earrings wasn't part of my early life. Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And so then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, tomorrow is going to be a festival to the Lord. I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but I get the good guy part, you've got the bad people part. <laughs> Just typecasting, I suppose. I don't know what it is. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Verse 7, the Lord told Moses, quick, you better get down, back down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And here's what they're saying. And then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. So now, leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them, and then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. 
Oh, he said, oh, Lord, why are you so angry with your own people with whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away, God, from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had read the people. So the Lord did what? That's right. Well, as always, the grass withers, the flower fades, but... The word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you. You may be seated. By the way, that's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. This message today is structured a bit differently from what you are accustomed to hearing from me. Rather than presented in three or four individual points per se, it's more of a, it's more of a narrative in nature. I am going to spend significant time making sure we know and understand what has taken place in the narrative that we've read this morning in this text, and then I will bring a more personal, practical application toward the end. The English translation to all that that I just said is this. Just stay with me and hang on, okay? I promise it's going somewhere, and we'll all arrive there safely. And the church said? As you will remember... The children of Israel have gone to Egypt as the honored and privileged guests of Egypt's Pharaoh, who was probably Nico II at that time. But the Bible says that there then arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. This new Pharaoh was most likely Meneftah. Meneftah. We don't know that for sure, but it's most likely. Many historians believe that. Previous pharaohs, rulers, had respected Joseph's role in saving the nation of Israel. They had regarded it. This new pharaoh seemed to have no knowledge of nor concern for the history of God's people. He only saw the Hebrew people as a threat to his Egyptian rule. So these Hebrew people who had come to Egypt as honored and privileged guests, now find themselves as slaves in this Pharaoh's Egypt. And it became, as you know, those of you who are Bible readers, you know that it became a very, very long journey for them. In fact, it has been nearly 400 years now that they've gone to bed every night and woken up every morning on tear-stained pillows, crying, Lord, would you send us a deliverer. They were daily under brutal taskmasters, forced to do harsh labor in barbaric, uncivilized conditions, and they cried out daily for God to send them a deliverer. But while they were moaning, God was moving. I would to God that we would recognize the moving of God, the hand of God in those seasons where we find ourselves moaning, starting with me. So easy for us to moan, 
So easy for us to find, to talk about what's wrong. So easy for us to complain. And we need to develop the ability right in the midst of it that even when we're moaning, even when we're complaining, to know God is still moving. Is anybody with me today? If you grew up in Sunday school, it's a story you heard many times. Let me talk about Moses, the leader. Because we find here that God moves in a couple named Amram and Jochebed, and they have a boy named Moses. And the Scripture says that he was a goodly child, is the way that it actually puts it, which means his hand was on him from birth. But he was born at a time when midwives had been instructed to drown these Hebrew babies in the Nile River, for they were multiplying more than the Egyptians were. And since their numbers were growing fast, Pharaoh had issued a decree that all male babies should be put to death and drowned in the Nile River. But the waters that were supposed to drown Moses were the same waters that God used to save him. Selah. His mother made a basket of bulrush and pitch, and she put that baby in the basket and floated him in the reeds of the Nile River. And while the people were still moaning, God was still moving. Is there an amen? One day God moved on the heart of Pharaoh's daughter to come down to the Nile to take a bath. Now, a little research will let you know that apparently running water uh, was in Pharaoh's house, both hot and cold. Uh, that's how advanced the Egyptian civilization was at that time. And all of the luxuries of proper bathing were available to Pharaoh's daughter. I'm sure she had bubble bath and what's those little things? Bath bombs? Is that what those things are? All, all that nice stuff. But she happened to choose on that day, on that day, to go down to the Nile to bathe. And then at just the right moment, God moved that little basket, and the baby started crying. The heart of Pharaoh's daughter is moved with compassion. But as providence would have it, at exactly the same time, God has the sister of Moses, whose name is Miriam, standing right there. She was available. And Miriam asked Pharaoh's daughter, said, should I go fetch a nurse to nurse this baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, yes. Go find and bring to me a Hebrew nurse to nurse this child. And Miriam comes back with the baby's own mother, Mrs. Jacobed. So Moses is then reared in the splendor of Egypt, and he's nursed by his own mother, and so begins the life of, the Mo of Moses. Can you agree with me that only the Lord could have done that? Only the Lord could orchestrate those circumstances. Jochebed, Moses' mother, teaches him well as he's being raised that even though you are up there with them, even though you are with the Egyptians, even though you are living in the palace and enjoying the luxuries that go with, with that, don't ever forget you are not one of them. You are one of us. She taught him that well. You're not an Egyptian, Moses. You are a Hebrew. And so he grows up with that clearly in mind. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being abused by an Egyptian. And he kills that Egyptian soldier and he buries his body in the sand. 
But people must have been watching him and must have observed that. For some days later, he sees some Hebrews quarreling and he moves in to separate them, get them away from each other. And, and those Hebrews say to Moses, oh, are you going to kill us just like you killed that Egyptian soldier the other day? And Moses, who was the adopted son of Pharaoh's Egypt, reared in the splendor of Egypt, is now a fugitive from Egyptian justice. And then sometime later, he runs to the backside of the Midian Desert, which is right where God wants him. And while in the desert, he sees a bush on fire, but no fire is on the bush. It's burning, but it is not being consumed. It's on fire, but there are no ashes. It's burning, but there is no smoke. Moses draws near to the bush, and God says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. I've heard the cries of my people by reason of their taskmasters, and I've, I've come down to deliver them, but Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Those of you who are Bible readers and know the story know that Moses was diffident. He was reluctant. He wasn't all excited about that task that God gave him, but he finally relents to do what God is calling him to do. And so, ultimately, here's what we see in Moses. Moses spends the first 40 years of his life thinking he's somebody. He spends the second 40 years of his life finding out he's really a nobody. Does this sound familiar to anybody? But he spends the last 40 years of his life finding out how God can take a nobody and make them a somebody. That was kind of pathetic, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Let me talk about the people, the children of Israel. Well, the time comes when the children of Israel leave Egypt, two million strong. They're on their way to the land of promise. And I, I think it's very important as we go through this to pay special attention to all that God did for them. It's very important. On their way... God loves them so much that, the, that in the wilderness they wear the same clothes and the same shoes that will not wear out. They never have to be replaced. That's something God did for them. When they got hungry, God fed them. When they got thirsty, they drank sweet water from a rock. Oh, but they, they get to the Red Sea and they discover there's mountains on their right and mountains on their left and the Red Sea is in front of them, and Pharaoh's army is behind them, and they cry out to Moses, and Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord says, why are you crying to me? Use what you have in your hand. And so Moses stretched forth that rod, and the sea opens six miles wide, and the children of Israel cross over on dry ground, not even getting their feet muddy. Can anybody say only the Lord? When they get on the other side, Moses' sister, Miriam, shows up again. She gets a tambourine. We have any tambourine players in the house today? Oh, thank God. <laughs> and she starts to sing a new song. 
Can I buy one rabbit trail right here from you? Just one. Bethesda, every Sunday ought to be a Sunday of praise for each one of us. Am I right about that? I just have a feeling, though, that if God has done something special for you, particularly this week, if he's brought you through something, if he has opened a door for you, or if he's, as we often say, made a way where there didn't seem to be a way, if he's answered a prayer specifically, if he's dried your tears, if all of a sudden you have experienced the favor and blessing of heaven that was maybe even unexpected, can I just say, we ought to be able to notice something different about your praise on the Sunday after that. I just believe that it's important. We always give him praise as we were admonished over and over again by Pastor Brent. Lift your hands in the house. Lift your hallelujah. He ought to not even have to do that. There ought to be a loud hallelujah from the people of God. There ought to be spontaneous praise from the people of God. That ought to be the natural thing that happens when God's people come together. But on this day... Miriam is shouting at what God has done because it was so supernatural, it was so unique, it was so different that she struck up a tambourine and sang a new song. Uh, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Out of the sense of joy of what God has done. And I just want to say to you that if God has done something special for you, if he has blessed you, if he has favored you, you ought to be the loudest shouter in this room today. And that's not just today, that's any Sunday. We need to know when God's done something for you. Let us rejoice with those who rejoice. Let us be part of celebrating God's goodness. All my life he's been good to me. Amen. So God miraculously delivered the children of Israel time and time and time again. He turned the Nile into blood. He killed all of their enemies. The horse and the rider turned up on the seashore. Pharaoh's army is dead. Their enemies have been routed. The Red Sea has opened for them. Manna has fallen from heaven. Sweet water has come from a rock. And now Moses is on the mountain talking to God. And the same people for whom God did all that stuff, the same people for which he performed signs and wonders, six weeks later, rebelled. Go figure. For four Hundred years, God had kept them. He delivered them with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand. And now Moses is atop the mountain, and after just six weeks, they forget the God who brought them, who did all that stuff. Now, we read it in the text a moment ago. With Moses out of sight, he was out of mind for them because he's up talking with God receiving the Ten Commandments. And what happened is the people down below, they detached from his spiritual influence. Listen to me this morning, Bethesda. The problem was their attachment was not to God. Their attachment was to Moses. That's a problem. Whenever your heart is set on a man, you will never follow God. Am I right about it? Well, then help me here this morning. 
I'm going to go so far as to say, as long as you are attached only to the pastor, you will never hear the master. Now, a pastor has a biblical function and place in the life of a believer. You need a pastor. We all do. There are pastoral, sacerdotal, priestly duties that he or she must perform for the people, but balance is required. Give your pastor his or her rightful place. Take him out to eat. (laughs) Bring him cakes, pies, and cookies. Oh, but I digress. But it's an immature Christian who will only follow a man in place of following the master. That's not a sign of strength. That's a sign of immaturity. And I'm telling you the truth today. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow, not a man, but follow Christ. Is that the word? The hopes of the children of Israel were pinned to Moses. And when Moses disappeared in the mountain, their faith disappeared. And their faith evaporated in just six weeks. Let me go on with this narrative to see what happened here. Here's what happened. Moses is on the mountain seeking God. And the Bible says that the people gathered themselves unto Aaron. Gathered themselves is an interesting phrase. It sounds very nice, sounds very pretty, but basically when you dig around on it, you find out what they did is they accosted Aaron. They aggressively challenged him. Hey, Aaron, make us a God, and you do what we tell you to do. That's the way they talked to him. Get up and make us a God that we can see, because your brother, this Moses, we don't even know what happened to him. Now remember, Moses brought them, Moses delivered them, They cried for Moses. They begged God for Moses. Moses shepherded them. And now he's with God on the mountain, and they tell Aaron to make them a God because Moses, he's not here. Moses on the mountain. Aaron is there. And they accost Aaron and say to him, make us a God. And you know exactly what happened. Aaron responds by saying, okay, bring all your gold earrings. What a wonderful idea. Get them from your sons and your daughters. Bring them, bring them here. Aaron melted them all down and made a golden calf. Why? Because Aaron was weak. He was a very weak leader. Aaron is not strong enough to resist the stares and the looks and the pressure of the people who want to come on strong at that moment because he's obviously a people pleaser. It is very, very evident that God put something in Moses that he never put in his brother Aaron. There is something God puts in a leader that he does not put in a follower. Because they would have never talked to Moses that way. Let me tell you, it would not have gone well for them. They would never have talked to him. They would have never tried that with Moses. Moses would have taken that rod in his hand and knocked a few people down. (laughs) 
It is a weak leader who desires popularity above all else. This is not fun preaching, but it's good preaching, folks. Am I telling you the truth today? It is a weak leader who desires popularity above all else that will give in to the people every time. There was an Italian philosopher and writer by the name of Niccolo Machiavelli, my Italian's not great, who in the 1500s wrote a book about leadership that is still being used today in some circles, I understand. Machiavelli says, if you separate the people, you can conquer them. If you divide them, you can rule them. Let me say that again. If you separate the people, you can conquer them. If you divide them, you can rule them. That sounds a whole lot like what we see the enemy trying to do as he's out to to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's one of the reasons, let me say, that this pastoral team in this season of time is putting an enormous focus on Psalm 133 unity because we believe that when we dwell together in unity and we do not allow the enemy to divide us, there God will command his blessing to fall. Not only do we believe that, we are watching it happen before our very eyes and any of our staff members would testify to that. Somebody say amen. If you notice, looking at Machiavelli's statement, there will always be people who are looking for a crack or a crevice where they can get in to divide and separate because what they have discovered is that people have a tendency to follow someone who looks like the leader. But people who just want to be popular will never be in spiritual leadership because God needs leaders who know how to stand on their own feet who are strong enough to look you in the eyeball and say, I know you may not like it, but thus saith the Lord. Can I tell you, I've had that said to me by my pastor, and he was right. It may not always please you and me, but far better that a spiritual leader please God than please those who think they know what should happen. It's awfully quiet in here right now. I'm getting real nervous. But I've got to tell you this, I would far rather hear God say, well done, than be popular with the people any day. You old timers will remember, if when you give the best of your service, telling the world that the Savior has come, be not dismayed when men don't believe you because he'll understand and say, well done. Aaron was so concerned in trying to be popular, that was his mantra that he failed in leading these people in Moses' stead. For there was something that God gave Moses which was obviously absent in Aaron. The people whom God had delivered very quickly rebelled. And in their rebellion, God heard them. He heard all of it. They sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play, and God heard them. So listen to what God said to Moses. Moses, you better get down there. Your people that you brought up out of Egypt, your people are corrupting themselves. No, 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 I'm looking at them. They are a stiff-necked people, and I'm about to kill every one of them. But I want you to remember something, that in the economy of God, Judgment is always seasoned with mercy. Would you just say that for me, please? Judgment is always seasoned with 
Because, now hear me, hear me, hear me. While God is saying to Moses, leave me alone. We read it right in the text. Leave me alone. Don't bother me about these people. They are, they're, they're no good. I'm going to get rid of all of them, every one of them, because they're not worth anything. Look what they're doing. I just brought them out, and they're drinking and partying and having orgies and revelry. Look at them, Moses. Don't ask me to do something for them. But judgment is always seasoned with mercy because right in the midst of their rebellion, Moses is on the mountain mediating. The people are partying. You can hear the music all the way down the street. Barbecue smoke is everywhere. They're drinking whatever, smoking their cigars, doing all kinds of things that they should not be doing. And right at the foot of the mountain where Moses is getting the Ten Commandments and instructions from God, listen to me, listen to me. God heard all that. And he told Moses, get down there because there's a rebellion going on. And Moses hears God saying all this, having this response to the people, but he can't believe it. He can't believe it, that God is ready to wipe them all out. So Moses, the mediator, says something like this to God. God I, God, I know they're no good. I know. By the way, they're not my people. <laughs> they're your people. You brought them out of Egypt with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. And I say this carefully, but it would almost appear from Scripture that Moses is essentially saying something like this to God. God, don't act like that. God, don't, God, don't, don't, don't do that. Because let me tell you what's going to happen, God. The Egyptians are going to say that you brought them out here, but you couldn't bring them into the promised land. So, God, it's your name at stake. God, it's, it, it, it's your reputation that's on the line. And here's what I want to be sure you get, folks. Like I said, there's something God put in Moses that he never put in Aaron. Can I just say that took a lot of nerve for Moses to stand in the face of God and say that? Because while Aaron is down the mountain and cannot restrain the people, Moses is on top of the mountain restraining God. I think I'll say that again. While Aaron was down the mountain and not able to restrain the people, Moses is on top of the mountain restraining God. Which reminds me of something, that when you belong to the Lord, he will hear your faintest cry and he will answer by and by. Which means this that he will change his mind simply because you asked him to. Moses says, God, don't do that. God, really, don't do that. You know that's not who you are. That's not the way you act, God. Your name and reputation are on the line. And the Scripture says that God repented. Now, some of your versions will say relented, but you go clicking around on it, it's the same thing. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. God did not repent because of sin. There is no evil in God's personality. He is, always has been, always will be the holy and righteous one. 
even when we speak of the wrath of God, that does not mean that God has a bad side. Because to be clear, there is nothing negative, nothing evil, nothing of sin whatsoever in God. God is good and all the time. God is love and all the time. So when the Bible says in our text that God repented, let me tell you what this means. It means that God allowed God to change his mind. Moses didn't do it. God let God change his mind. Now let me press this just a little harder because you're looking at me real goofy-like. You remember... Let's see how I can do this. You remember when Israel, formerly known as Jacob, was dying. He was Jacob until he wrestled with the angel and his name was changed to Israel. So when I'm saying Israel now, I'm not talking about the people group. I'm talking about he who was known as Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Israel now. Joseph was the son of Israel. He was the last son to be blessed. And Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He, he, um, he brings those two sons to old Israel's bedside, to their grandfather's bedside. Yeah, I, I had him do this to help us. By the way, this is where this is all, what I'm about to tell you, where it's all located. Israel, formerly Jacob, has a son, Joseph, and he has two sons. Hopefully the family tree here will help you get it straight. And Joseph was bringing them to uh, his dad, Israel's, bedside. The old man, his eyes were growing dim with age and he couldn't see very well. Uh, and Joseph put his oldest boy on Israel's right side and he placed the youngest boy, boy on Israel's left side because the blessing was, was always administered by the right hand and should belong to the firstborn, the older boy. But the Bible says that when Joseph brought his boys to his daddy's bedside for the blessing, the oldest was positioned on the right, the youngest one on the left. Joseph had it set up property. But the old man Israel, in the process of giving the blessing, he crossed his hands. Meaning, the first birth has to be negated because I have to bless the second birth. That's why you have to be born again. Because your first birth has to be negated for God to bless your second birth. God crossed his hands. And it means this. God has the right to say, I know who's supposed to get the blessing, but I will bless whomever I want to bless, whenever I want to bless it. And beloved, you may not know it, you may not recognize it, but you are in this church this morning because God crossed his hands to bring blessing to you. Maybe you should have been on the streets, but God crossed his hands and the blessing came to you. Maybe you even should have been in the penitentiary today, but he crossed his hands. You could have, should be in all kinds of ugly situations, but he crossed his hands. Some of you should have been in the grave today, but God crossed his hands. 
and the blessing that should have belonged to another has come to you. That sickness should have taken you out, but he crossed his hands. Oh, lift up a shout of hallelujah in this house. Come on, lift up a shout of hallelujah. He looked beyond my fault. Saw my need. I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad I'm so glad he did. I can't explain the mind of God, why he would choose to bless whomever he wants, do it the way he wants to do it. He's allowed to change his mind anytime he wants. He left his mighty home in glory to bring to us redemption story. And then he died, but he rose again just for me. Oh, and I'm glad. I said, I'm glad. I said, I'm glad it should have been me. But he crossed his hands. And I'm so glad he did. Beloved, you and I are alive today because he crossed his hands. God changed his mind. He repented of the act he was about to perform on the children of Israel. They were spared because Moses mediated on their behalf to God. And let me tell you where that thought takes me. I'm trying to hurry. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like many of you, I had praying parents and grandparents who mediated on my behalf. I'm saved today clearly because of Jesus. But I'm in the church today and on my way to heaven today, largely because I had parents and grandparents who mediated on my behalf to God. And here's some incredible news. I'm not the only one. There's lots of folks, probably hundreds of folks in this room today. That's the same thing. It's certainly true for you. Your mama and your daddy may be in their grave. But I want to tell you, according to Revelation 5.8, God is still answering their prayers. Oh, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Revelation 5.8, if you look at it, will tell you that your pray the prayers are kept in bowls, gold bowls, that are resonating forever before the throne of God. Your mom and daddy, your grandparents, they may be every one of them in the grave today, but God is still answering their, prayer, their prayers about you because they mediated for you. Asking God to cross his hands, to change his mind, and not destroy you. Oh, and I'm glad, I'm so glad he is. So when Moses got halfway down the mountain, he meets Joshua. Joshua says, hey, I, I hear some commotion behind me. Is that the sound of war? Moses said, no, 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 no. Well, it's not the sound of war. Sounds to me like somebody put some quarters in the jukebox. <laughs> Those of you who are under 40, ask an old person what that is. Somebody put some quarters in the jukebox and they're dancing. See, I mean, I, some of them doing the twist. See the mashed potato, the foxtrot. They're doing all those crazy dances they like to do. Look at them. That's what's happening. When they get down to where the people are and Moses sees all that commotion, look at what the Bible says. Moses took those tablets of stone, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. Smashing them. He took the calf they had made and he burned it. <clears throat> then he ground it into powder. He threw it in the water. 
and he forced the people to drink it. So, okay, why, why is that significant? So glad you asked. I just wanted to give you a little quick sidebar here. In the book of Numbers, there's a test that has to do with the drinking of water. If a husband suspected that his wife was cheating on him and committing adultery, they would get dust from the floor of the tabernacle, put it in some water, and give it to her and make her drink it. If she was guilty, it would make her sick. And folks, if God were to take his word and grind it into powder and put it in some water and make you drink it, would it make you sick today? Or would you be able to lift your voice and lift your hands in praise because you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And so Moses then asks a question that should, re that should resonate with all of us today. He says, now, <laughs> who is on the Lord's side? We didn't sing that in my Pentecostal church. It was in the hymnal, but we, did, we skipped that one. Until I got to working musically and professionally with some other evangelicals, Dutch Reform, Evangelical Free, other really fine people. That's all they ever sang was who was on the Lord's side. So I've arranged it about three times in other situations. So the song has been now blazed on the wall of my heart. Moses says, who is on the Lord's side? And I think it's a fair question to ask you this morning. As a people, ask Bethesda this morning, who's on the Lord's side? Not... Are you a member of this church, as good a thing as that is? Not, do you sing in the choir, as wonderful as that is? Not, are you an usher or greeter at church? Not, do you serve in kids' ministry or youth? And we need people to do all that stuff and more. But who is really on the Lord's side? Because the truth is, you could be doing any or all of those things I just mentioned and never be on the Lord's side. The Bible says that when Moses asked that question, the tribe of Levi all came by and stood by Moses, came and stood by Moses. It goes on to say that Moses instructed those Levites to go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other and killing everyone all because of their rebellion. Moses told them, you've committed a grievous sin. You have displeased God. I will go back up the mountain and pray. And perhaps if I intercede for you, God might have mercy on you. Moses gets back up the mountain and he says, Lord, I know they've disappointed you. I know they've done wrong. I know, uh, I know they don't deserve to live. But don't kill them. Don't do that, God. Kill me. I will take their place. Here's what happened. God refused Moses' invitation. He said, no. Let me tell you why. Because God had another mountain in mind. God had another Moses in his mind. Moses, I know you want to sacrifice for them, but I have another sacrifice in mind. Because Moses, you are not worthy to die in their place. But I will tell you, Moses, there is one who is worthy to die in their place. It was not Abraham. Because Abraham lied and said Sarah was his sister when she was really his wife. No, not him. It's not David. Because David took another man's wife to bed and then had that same man killed. It was not Jacob because Jacob stole his brother's blessing and tricked his brother out of his birth. No, not him. He's not worthy. It was not even Moses. It was not Habakkuk or Daniel. 
It was not Hosea. It was not Zephaniah. It was not Isaiah. Not Jeremiah. Not Ezekiel or Obadiah. Not Joel or, or Malachi. None of them were worthy. But I'm here this morning to be sure it's clear in this house there is one who is worthy. There is one who is worthy to die in our place. And I want to tell you something about him. He was born in Bethlehem. He was reared in Nazareth. He was baptized in the Jordan. He performed miracles in the desert place. He wept over Jerusalem. He prayed in Gethsemane. He is Adam's redeemer. He is Abel's vindicator. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He is Noah's ark. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samson's power. He's David's music. He's Solomon's wisdom. He's Jeremiah's balm in Gilead. He died. Oh, yes, he died on an old rugged cross. They buried his body in a borrowed grave, but early on Sunday morning, he arose, and right now he is seated at the right hand of power, and he alone is worthy of your praise. He alone is worthy of your highest hallelujah. He alone is worthy of your heart of thanksgiving. Put your hands together. Lift your voice. Declare he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Blessed be his name forever.